Chapter Fifteen of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Fifteen, very literary. Her sports were such as carried riches of knowledge upon the stream of light. Sydney. Fleda had not been a year in Paris when her uncle suddenly made up his mind to quit it and go home. Some trouble in money affairs, felt or feared, brought him to this step, which a month before he had no definite purpose of ever taking. There was cloudy weather in the financial world of New York, and he wisely judged it best that his own eyes should be on the spot to see to his own interests. Nobody was sorry for this determination. Mrs. Rossiter always liked what her husband liked, but she had at the same time a decided predilection for home. Marion was glad to leave her convent for the gay world, which her parents promised she could immediately enter. And Hugh and Fleda had too lively a spring of happiness within themselves to care where its outgoings should be. So home they came, in good mood, bringing with them all manner of Parisian delights that Paris could part with. Furniture, that at home at least they might forget where they were. Dresses, that at home or abroad, nobody might forget where they had been pictures and statuary and engravings and books to satisfy a taste really strong and well cultivated and indeed the other items were quite as much for this purpose as for any other a french cook for mr rossiter and even rosaline for his wife who declared she was worth all the rest of paris hugh carried little for any of these things he brought home a treasure of books and a flute to which he was devoted Fleda cared for them all, even Monsieur Emile and Rosaline, for her uncle's and aunt's sake. But her special joy was a beautiful little King Charles, which had been sent her by Mr. Carleton a few weeks before. It came with the kindest of letters, saying that some matters had made it inexpedient for him to pass through Paris on his way home, but that he hoped nevertheless to see her soon. That imitation was the only thing that made Fleda sorry to leave Paris. The little dog was a beauty, allowed to be so not only by his mistress, but by every one else, of the true black and tan colors, and Fleda's dearly loved and constant companion. The life she and Hugh led was little changed by the change of place. They went out and came in as they had done in Paris, and took the same quiet but intense happiness in the same quiet occupations and pleasures. Only the Tuileries and the Champs-Élysées had a miserable substitute in the battery, and no substitute at all anywhere else. And the pleasant drives in the environs of Paris were missed, too, and had nothing in New York to supply their place. Mrs. Rossiter always said it was impossible to get out of New York by land, and not worth the trouble to do it by water. But then, in the house, Fleda thought there was a great gain. The dirty Parisian hotel was well exchanged for the bright, clean, well-appointed house in State Street. And if Broadway was disagreeable, and the park a weariness to the eyes, after the dressed gardens of the French capital, Hugh and Fleda made it up in the delights of the luxuriously furnished library and the dear at-home feeling of having the whole house their own. They were left, those two children, quite as much to themselves as ever. Marion was going into company, and she and her mother were swallowed up in the constant necessary calls upon their time. Marion never had been anything to Fleda. 
she was a fine handsome girl outwardly but seemed to have more of her father than her mother in her composition though colder natured and more wrapped up in self than mr rossiter would be called by anybody that knew him she had never done anything to draw fleda towards her and even hugh had very little of her attention they did not miss it they were everything to each other everything for now morning and night there was a sort of whirlwind in the house which carried the mother and daughter round and round and permitted no rest and mr rossiter himself was drawn in it was worse than it had been in paris there with marion in her convent there were often evenings when they did not go abroad nor receive company and spent the time quietly and happily in each other's society no such evenings now if by chance there were an unoccupied one mrs rossiter and her daughter were sure to be tired and mr rossiter busy hugh and fleda in those bustling times retreated to the library mr rossiter would rarely have that invaded and while the net was so eagerly cast for pleasure among the gay company below pleasure had often slipped away and hid herself among the things on the library table and was dancing on every page of hugh's book and minding each stroke of fleda's pencil and cocking the spaniel's ears whenever his mistress looked at him king the spaniel lay on a silk cushion on the library table his nose just touching fleda's fingers fleda's drawing was mere amusement she and hugh were not so burdened with studies that they had not always their evenings free and to tell truth much more than their evenings masters indeed they had but the heads of the house were busy with the interests of their grown-up child and perhaps with other interests and took it for granted that all was going right with the young ones haven't we a great deal better time than they have downstairs fleda said hugh one of these evenings hm yes answered fleda abstractedly stroking into order some old man in her drawing with great intentness king you rascal keep back and be quiet sir nothing could be conceived more gentle and loving than fleda's tone of fault-finding and her repulse only felt short of a caress what's he doing wants to get into my lap why don't you let him because i don't choose to a silk cushion is good enough for his majesty king laying her soft cheek against the little dog's soft head and forsaking her drawing for the purpose how you do love that dog said hugh very well why shouldn't i provided he steals no love from anybody else said fleda still caressing him what a noise somebody is making downstairs said hugh i don't think i should ever want to go to large parties fleda do you i don't know said fleda whose natural taste for society was strongly developed it would depend upon what kind of parties they were i shouldn't like them i know of whatever kind said hugh what are you smiling at only mr pickwick's face that i am drawing here hugh came round to look and laugh and then began again i can't think of anything pleasanter than this room as we are now you should have seen mr carleton's library said fleda in a musing tone going on with her drawing was it so much better than this fleda's eyes gave a slight glance at the room and then looked down again with a little shake of her head sufficiently expressive well said hugh you and i do not want any better than this do we fleda fleda's smile a most satisfactory one 
was divided between him and King. "'I don't believe,' said Hugh, "'you would have loved that dog near so well "'if anybody else had given him to you.' "'I don't believe I should, not a quarter,' said Fleda, "'with sufficient distinctness. "'I never liked that Mr. Carleton as well as you did.' "'That is because you did not know him,' said Fleda quietly. "'Do you think he was a good man, Fleda?' "'He was very good to me,' said Fleda. "'Always. "'What rides I did have on that great black horse of his.' "'A black horse?' "'Yes, a great black horse, strong, but so gentle, "'and he went so delightfully. "'His name was Harold. "'Oh, I should like to see that horse. "'When I wasn't with him, Mr. Carleton used to ride another. "'The greatest beauty of a horse, Hugh, a brown Arabian.' so slender and delicate her name was zephyr and she used to go like the wind to be sure mr carleton said he wouldn't trust me on such a flyaway thing but you didn't use to ride alone said hugh oh no and i wouldn't have been afraid if he had chosen to take me on any one but do you think fleda he was a good man as i mean i am sure he was better than a great many others answered fleda evasively the worst of him was infinitely better than the best of half the people downstairs, Mr. Sweden included. Sweden, you don't call his name right. The worse it is called, the better, in my opinion, said Fleda. Well, I don't like him, but what makes you dislike him so much? I don't know, partly because Uncle Rolf and Marion like him so much, I believe. I don't think there is any moral expression in his face. "'I wonder why they like him,' said Hugh. "'It was a somewhat irregular and desultory education "'that the two children gathered under this system of things. "'The masters they had were rather for accomplishments and languages "'than anything solid. "'The rest they worked out for themselves. "'Fortunately, they both loved books, and rational books, "'and hours and hours when Mrs. Rossiter and her daughter "'were paying or receiving visits, "'they always, together, were stowed away behind the bookcase or in the library window, poring patiently over pages of various complexion. The soft turning of the leaves, or Fleda's frequent attentions to King, the only sound in the room. They walked together, talking of what they had read, though indeed they ranged beyond that into nameless and numberless fields of speculation, where, if they sometimes found fruit, they as often lost their way. However, the habit of ranging was something. Then, when they joined the rest of the family at the dinner-table, especially if others were present, and most especially if a certain German gentleman happened to be there, who the second winter, after their return, Fleda thought came very often, she and Hugh would be sure to find the strange talk of the world that was going on unsuited and wearisome to them, and they would make their escape upstairs again to handle the pencil, and to play the flute, and to read, and to draw plans for the future, while King crept upon the skirts of his mistress's gown, and laid his little head on her feet. Nobody ever thought of sending them to school. Hugh was a child of frail health, and though not often very ill, was very often near it, and as for Fleda, she and Hugh were inseparable, and besides, by this time her uncle and aunt would almost as soon have thought of taking the mats off their delicate shrubs in winter as of exposing her to any atmosphere less genial than that of home. For Fleda, this doubtful course of mental training 
wrought singularly well an uncommonly quick eye and strong memory and clear head which she had even in childhood passed over no field of truth or fancy without making their quiet gleanings and the stores thus gathered though somewhat miscellaneous and unarranged were both rich and uncommon and more than any one or she herself knew perhaps such a mind thus left to itself knew a more free and luxuriant growth than could ever have flourished within the confinement of rules perhaps a plant at once so strong and so delicate was safest without the hand of the dresser at all events it was permitted to spring and to put forth all its native gracefulness alike unhindered and unknown cherished as little fleda dearly was her mind kept company with no one but herself and hugh as to externals music was uncommonly loved by both the children and by both cultivated with great success so much came under mrs rossiter's knowledge also every foreign seigneur and madame that came into the house to teach them spoke with enthusiasm of the apt minds and flexile tongues that honour their instructions in private and in public the gentle docile and affectionate children answered every wish both of taste and judgment and perhaps in a world where education is not understood their guardians might be pardoned for taking it for granted that all was right where nothing appeared that was wrong certainly they took no pains to make sure of the fact in this case one of a thousand their neglect was not punished with disappointment they never found out that hugh's mind wanted the strengthening that early skilful training might have given it his intellectual tastes were not so strong as fleda's his reading was more superficial his gleanings not so sound and in far fewer fields and they went rather to nourish sentiment and fancy than to stimulate thought or lay up food for it but his parents saw nothing of this the third winter had not passed when fleda's discernment saw that mr sweden as she called him the german gentleman would not cease coming to the house till he had carried off marion with him her opinion on the subject was delivered to no one but hugh that winter introduced them to a better acquaintance one evening dr gregory an uncle of mrs rossiter's had been dining with her and was in the drawing-room mr schweden had been there too and he and marion and one or two other young people had gone out to some popular entertainment the children knew little of dr gregory but that he was a very respectable-looking elderly gentleman a little rough in his manners the doctor had not long been returned from a stay of some years in europe where he had been collecting rare books for a fine public library the charge of which was now entrusted to him after talking some time with mr and mrs rossiter the doctor pushed round his chair to take a look at the children so that's amy's child said he come here amy that is not my name said the little girl coming forward isn't it it ought to be what is then elfleda elfleda where in the name of all that is auricular did you get such an outlandish name my father gave it to me sir said fleda with a dignified sobriety which amused the old gentleman your father hm i understand and couldn't your father find a cap that fitted you without going back to the old-fashioned days of king alfred yes sir it was my grandmother's cap i am afraid your grandmother's cap isn't all of her that's come down to you said he 
tapping his snuff-box and looking at her with a curious twinkle in his eyes. "'What do you call yourself? Haven't you some variations of this tongue-twisting appellative to serve for every day and save trouble?' "'They call me Fleda,' said the little girl, who could not help laughing. "'Nothing better than that?' Fleda remembered two prettier nicknames which had been hers, but one had been given by dear lips long ago, and she was not going to have it profaned by common use. And Elfie belonged to Mr. Carleton. She would own to nothing but Fleda. "'Well, Miss Fleda,' said the doctor, "'are you going to school?' "'No, sir.' "'You intend to live without such a vulgar thing as learning?' "'No, sir. Hugh and I have our lessons at home.' "'Teaching each other, I suppose?' "'Oh, no, sir,' said Fleda, laughing. "'Madame Lesselle and Mr. Schreppenisser and Signor Bereton come to teach us, besides our music-masters. "'Do you ever talk German with this Mr. What's-his-name, who has just gone out with your cousin Marion?' "'I never talk to him at all, sir.' "'Don't you? Why not?' "'Don't you like him?' Fleda said, not particularly, and seemed to wish to let the subject pass, but the doctor was amused and pressed it. "'Why, why don't you like him?' said he. "'I am sure he's a fine-looking, dashing gentleman, dresses as well as anybody, and talks as much as most people. Why don't you like him? Isn't he a handsome fellow, eh?' "'I dare say he is, to many people,' said Fleda. She said she didn't think there was any moral expression in his face, said Hugh, by way of settling the matter. Moral expression, cried the doctor. Moral expression, and what if there isn't, you elf? What if there isn't? I shouldn't care what other kind of expression it had, said Fleda, colouring a little. Mr. Rossiter pished rather impatiently. The doctor glanced at his niece, and changed the subject. Well, "'Who teaches you English, Miss Fleda? You haven't told me that yet.' "'Oh, we teach ourselves,' said Fleda, smiling as if it was a very innocent question. "'Hm, you do. Pray, how do you teach yourselves?' "'By reading, sir.' "'Reading? And what do you read? What have you read in the last twelve months now?' "'I don't think I could remember all exactly,' said Fleda. "'But you have got a list of them all,' said Hugh who chanced to have been looking over said list of a day or two before and felt quite proud of it let's have it let's have it said the doctor and mrs rossiter laughing said let's have it and even her husband commanded hugh to go and fetch it so poor fleda though not a little unwilling was obliged to let the list be forthcoming hugh brought it in a neat little book covered with pink blotting paper now for it said the doctor let us see what this english amounts to can you stand fire elfleda january first robinson crusoe footnote a true list made by a child of that age hm that sounds reasonable at all events i had it for a new year present remarked fleda who stood by with downcast eyes like a person undergoing an examination january second history de france what history of france is this fleda hesitated and then said it was by la cretelle la cretelle what of the revolution no sir it is before that it is in five or six large volumes what louis the fifteenth's time said the doctor muttering to himself january twenty seventh 
two ditto ditto two means the second volume i suppose yes sir hm if you were a mouse you would gnaw through the wall and time at that rate this is in the original yes sir february third paris l e k what do these hieroglyphics mean that stands for the library of entertaining knowledge said fleda but how is this do you go hop skip and jump through these books or read a little and then throw them away here it is only seven days since you began the second volume of la Cretelle. not time enough to get through it oh no sir said fleda smiling i like to have several books that i am reading in at once i mean at the same time you know and then if i am not in the mood of one i take up another she reads them all through said hugh always though she reads them very quick hm i understand said the old doctor with a humorous expression going on with the list march third three history de france but you finish one of these volumes i suppose before you begin another or do you dip into different parts of the same work at once oh no sir of course not march fifth modern egyptians l e k april thirteen what are these dates on the right as well as on the left those on the right show when i finished the volume well i wonder what you were cut out for said the doctor a quaker you aren't a quaker are you no sir said fleda laughing you look like it said he february twenty fourth five penny magazines finished march fourth they are in paper numbers you know sir april fourth four history de france let us see the third volume was finished march twenty ninth i declare you keep it up pretty well april nineteenth incidents of travel whose is that it is by mr stevens how did you like it oh very much indeed ay i see you did you finished it by the first of may tour to the hebrides what johnson's yes sir read it all fairly through yes sir certainly he smiled and went on may twelfth peter simple there was quite a shout of the heterogeneous character of fleda's reading which she not knowing exactly what to make of it heard rather abashed peter simple said the doctor settling himself to go on with his list well let us see world without souls why you elf read in two days it is very short you know sir what did you think of it i liked parts of it very much he went on still smiling june fifteenth goldsmith's animated nature june eighteenth one life of washington what life of washington marshall's hm july ninth second goldsmith's animated nature as i live begun the very day the first volume was finished did you read the whole of that oh yes sir i liked that book very much july fourth twelve five history de france two historians on hand at once out of all rule miss fleda we must look after you yes sir sometimes i wanted to read one and sometimes i wanted to read the other and you always do what you want to do i suppose i think the reading does me more good in that way july fifteenth paley's natural theology there was another shout poor fleda's eyes filled with tears what in the world put that book into your head or before your eyes 
said the doctor. "'I don't know, sir. I thought I should like to read it,' said Fleda, drooping her eyelids that the bright drops under them might not be seen. "'And finished in eleven days, as I live,' said the doctor, wagging his head. "'July 19th, 3rd, Goldsmith's Animated Nature. August 6th, 4th, Do, Do.' "'This is one of Fleda's favourite books,' put in Hugh. "'So it seems. Six, History de France. "'What does this little cross mean?' "'That shows when the book is finished,' said Fleda, looking on the page. "'The last volume, I mean.' "'Retrospect of Western Travel. "'Goldsmith's Animated Nature, last volume. "'Memoirs de Soli, in the French?' "'Yes, sir. "'Life of Newton. What's this? "'September 8th? One fairy queen? Not Spencer's? Yes, sir, I believe so. The fairy queen in five volumes. The doctor looked up comically at his niece and her husband, who were both sitting, or standing, close by. September 10th. Palloway, Virginia. In what language? Italian, sir. I was just beginning, and I haven't finished it yet. September 16th. Milner's Church History. What the deuce? Volume two, Fairy Queen. Why, this must have been a favorite book, too. That's one of the books Fleda loves best, said Hugh. She went through that very fast. Over it, you mean, I reckon. How much did you skip, Fleda? I don't skip at all, said Fleda. I read every word of it. September 20th. Second Memoirs de Sully. Well, you're an industrious mouse, I'll say that for you. What's this? Don Quixote? Life of Howard? November 17th, 3rd Fairy Queen. November 29th, 4th Fairy Queen. December 8th, 1st Goldsmith's England. Well, if this list of books is a fair exhibit of your taste and capacity, you have a most happily proportioned set of intellectuals. Let us see. History, fun, facts, nature, theology, poetry, and divinity. Upon my soul, and poetry and history the leading features. A little fun, as much as you could lay your hand on, I'll warrant by that pinch in the corner of your eye. And here, the 11th of December, you finished The Fairy Queen, and ever since I suppose you have been imagining yourself the fair Una, with Hugh standing for Prince Arthur on the Red Cross Knight, haven't you? No, sir, I didn't imagine anything about it. Don't tell me. What did you read it for? Only because I liked it, sir. I liked it better than any other book I'd read last year. "'You did. Well, the year ends, I see, with another volume of Sully. "'I won't enter upon this year's list. "'Pray, how much of all these volumes do you suppose you remember? "'I'll try and find out next time I come to see you. "'I can give a guess if you study with that little pug in your lap.' "'He's not a pug,' said Fleda, in whose arms King was lying luxuriously. "'And he never gets into my lap besides.' "'Don't he? Why not?' "'Because I don't like it, sir.' I don't like to see dogs in laps. But all the ladies in the land do it, you little Saxon. It is universally considered a mark of distinction. I can't help what all the ladies in the land do, said Fleda. That won't alter my liking, and I don't think a lady's lap is a place for a dog. I wish you were my daughter, said the old doctor, shaking his head at her with a comic fierce expression of countenance, which Fleda perfectly understood and laughed at accordingly. Then, as the two children with the dog went off into the other room, 
he said, turning to his niece and Mr. Rossiter, "'If that girl ever takes a wrong turn with the bit in her teeth, you'll be puzzled to hold her. What stuff will you make the reins of?' "'I don't think she will ever take a wrong turn,' said Mr. Rossiter. "'A look is enough to manage her, if she did,' said his wife. "'Hugh is not more gentle. "'I should be inclined rather to fear her not having stability of character enough.' said Mr. Rossiter. She is so very meek and yielding. I almost doubt whether anything would give her courage to take ground of her own and keep it. Hm. well, well, said the old doctor, walking off after the children. Prince Arthur, will you bring this damsel up to my den some of these days? The fair Una is safe from the wild beasts, you know, and I'll show her books enough to build herself a house with if she likes." The acceptance of this invitation led to some of the pleasantest hours of Fleda's city life. The visits to the great library became very frequent. Dr. Gregory and the children were little while in growing fond of each other. He loved to see them and taught them to come at such times as the library was free of visitors and his hands of engagements. Then he delighted himself with giving them pleasure, especially Fleda, whose quick curiosity and intelligence were a constant amusement to him. He would establish the children in some corner of the large apartments out of the way, behind a screen of books and tables, and there shut out from the world they would enjoy a kind of fairyland pleasure over some volume or set of engravings that they could not see at home. Hours and hours were spent so. Fleda would stand clasping her hands before Audubon, or wrapped over a finely illustrated book of travels, or going through and through with Hugh the works of the best masters of the pencil and the graver. The doctor found he could trust them, and then all the treasures of the library were at their disposal. Very often he put chosen pieces of reading into their hands, and it was pleasantest of all when he was not busy, and came and sat down with them, for with all his odd manner he was extremely kind, and could and did put them in the way to profit greatly by their opportunities. The doctor and the children had nice times there together. They lasted for many months, and grew more and more worth. Mr. Schweden carried off Marion as Fleda had foreseen he would, before the end of the spring, and after she was gone something like the old pleasant Paris life was taken up again. They had no more company now than was agreeable, and it was picked not to suit Marion's taste, but her father's a very different matter. Fleda and Hugh were not forbidden the dinner-table, and so had the good of hearing much useful conversation from which the former, according to custom, made her steady precious gleanings. The pleasant evenings in the family were still better enjoyed than they used to be. Fleda was older, and the snug, handsome American house had a home feeling to her that the wide Parisian saloons never knew. She had become bound to her uncle and aunt, by all but the ties of blood. Nobody in the house ever remembered that she was not born their daughter, except, indeed, Fleda herself, who remembered everything, and with whom the forming of any new affections or relations somehow never blotted out or even faded the register of the old. It lived in all its brightness. The writing of past, loves, and friendships was as plain as ever in her heart, and often, often the eye and the kiss of memory fell upon it, in the secret of her heart's core, for still, as at first, no one had a suspicion of the movings of thought 
that were beneath that childish brow. No one guessed how clear a judgment weighed and decided upon many things. No one dreamed amid their busy, hustling, thoughtless life, how often in the street, in her bed, in company, and alone, her mother's last prayer was in Fleda's heart, well cherished, never forgotten. Her education and Hugh's, meanwhile, went on after the old fashion. If Mr. Rossiter had more time, he seemed to have no more thought for the matter. And Mrs. Rossiter, fine-natured as she was, had never been trained to self-exertion, and, of course, was entirely out of the way of training others. Her children were pieces of perfection, and needed no oversight. Her house was a piece of perfection, too. If either had not been, Mrs. Rossiter would have been utterly at a loss how to mend matters, except, in the latter instance, by getting a new housekeeper. And, as Mrs. Rennie, the good woman who held that station, was in everybody's opinion another treasure, Mrs. Rossiter's mind was uncrossed by the shadow of such a dilemma. With Mrs. Rennie, as with every one else, Fleda was held in highest regard, always welcome to her premises and to those mysteries of her trade which were sacred from other intrusion. Fleda's natural inquisitiveness carried her often to the housekeeper's room, and made her there the same curious and careful observer that she had been in the library or at the Louvre. "'Come,' said Hugh one day, when he had sought and found her in Mrs. Rennie's precincts. "'Come away, Fleda. What do you want to stand there and see Mrs. Rennie roll butter and sugar for?' "'My dear Mr. Rossiter,' said Fleda, "'you don't understand Kelka shows. How do you know but I may have to get my living by making them some day?' "'By making what?' said Hugh. "'Kelka shows. Anglesey. Kickshaws alias sweet trifles denominated marines. Pshaw, Fleda! Miss Fleda is more likely to get her living by eating them, Mr. Hugh, isn't she? said the housekeeper. I hope to decline both lines of life, said Fleda laughingly, as she followed Hugh out of the room. But her chance remark had grazed the truth sufficiently near. Those years in New York were a happy time for little Fleda, a time when mind and body flourished under the sun of prosperity. Luxury did not spoil her, and any one that saw her in the soft furs of her winter wrappings would have said that delicate cheek and frame were never made to know the unkindliness of harsher things. End of chapter 15